You may be seated. Thank you for that. We'll have some Christmas carols at the end. We'll uh, dismiss with candlelight uh, moment, candlelight service following uh, this brief message. Now, you guys who are Cornerstone people, uh, you guys know that uh, I'm fascinated by the wise men. They're, they're my favorite. I mean, I hate to say they're my favorite Christmas character. Jesus had to be my favorite Christmas character. But uh, they're in the story, uh, the pageantry of Christmas. Uh, maybe because when I was a little boy, I played, you know, I had a little tinfoil crown staff and a little treasure chest and all, you know, and you, you acted out the Christmas story singing, we three kings of Orient are uh, bearing gifts. We traveled so far, traverse so far in the old hymns, you know, uh, anyway, I've been fascinated with them. Spent a lot, I spent hundreds of hours, but maybe a hundred hours, a lot of hours studying about the wise men. I want to talk about them this morning. You obviously know Christmas isn't going to come and go without me talking about the wise men. First, let me start with Mary and Joseph because they're the, obviously the focal point, baby Jesus coming into the world as the fulfillment of the covenants and the promise that God had made to send his Messiah. And everything you know about a broken world right now, I guess 2020 has epitomized everything. It's like Murphy's Law of a Year. Everything that could go wrong did. Things we thought were impossible. A life we could not imagine. All of this has piled upon us. You know, businesses and the stress they're facing and, and people with their health and the stress they're facing. Just everything that's wrong in this world, Jesus came to set it right. And he will eventually set it all right. Already he is the beginning of the new creation. He has already inaugurated the kingdom of God. It's in its inaugural phase, but it will soon be brought to maturity in the resurrection. And it's not just you that get a resurrected body. You you getting a resurrection is a thing. But there's more than that that's happening. Earth is also getting a resurrection And when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and we are all resurrected and the earth gets its renewal, everything is set. We're back to Genesis 1 again. We're back to everything set right as God had intended his creation to be. But until then, we've got to get to that point. And the new covenant, the fulfillment of of, of Christ coming as the Messiah is the beginning of this in peace that I'm talking about in human history. So about Mary and Joseph for a moment. Mary and Joseph... Uh, I want to put them into very huge... I don't want them to be caricatures or just characters in a Christmas play. These are real people. And they were put in a very interesting situation as the New Testament unfolds. Mary and Joseph risked everything. Everything they had worked for. Everything they had lived for to that point. Everything they had dreamed life would be up to that point. Mary and Joseph risked everything to say yes to the will of God now if you don't hear the next few minutes please just let that get into your heart be like Mary and Joseph they were willing to risk anything and everything to say yes to fulfilling the will of God one of the things I've learned in being a Christian and in studying the Bible is saying yes to the will of God is costly And it's risky. It's high-risk behavior to be a Christian. It always has been. Read read from the opening of the the book of Acts and read about the first church and what what happened in early church history and read the history books about the Roman Empire and following and you'll realize it's always been risky 
to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. But maybe you've never associated the word costly or risky with your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yet those two words really describe a lot about the Christian life. The projects we were talking about earlier required us to take some risks financially. We said yes before we had the money. We said yes without having any confirmation that anything was going to happen except that there was a God who honors when we give to his cause. And we knew that God would do a miracle for us as a church and for you as individuals and families when we stepped out by faith to meet the needs that he put in front of us. I want to remind you this morning, God wants us to be his hands and his feet. We're not giving out of a lack of resources, although none of us are wealthy people. The wealth and the resources he has given us, although they may not be huge, whatever God has given us, by way of income, by way of wealth, by way of resources, he gave them to us to be distributed. We are blessed, this is the story of Abraham, in order to be a blessing. And when we're presented with a need that we can meet, I really believe God expects us to step out by faith and meet it because he's already seen it and he's already provided a way for us to meet that need that he's put into our sphere of influence as i was thinking about the christmas story and about our situation this week i i just poured my rihanna and their baby and his i just man that just blew me away i'm just like i feel like i were back to mary and joseph here and nobody to help deliver the baby and no room in the inn and it's just kind of a with a few other twists listen if you could have bought a hospital room for joseph and mary you would have you'd figure it out well that's kind of just what we were presented with and we're just figured it out when when joseph and mary risked everything let me see if i can characterize this they've closed down their family business in nazareth he's an entrepreneur he's a carpenter they've closed down their family business in nazareth they've moved across israel now to bethlehem to pay the taxes for the census and she's great with child she's going to deliver the baby in bethlehem well they started over in bethlehem they didn't travel back They spent at least two years, we know. So Joseph restarts his business in Bethlehem. Luckily, he's got a skill, and it's important in life to have some skills, you know. Uh, Well, if you're a welder, a plumber, an electrician, or a a, a trim carpenter, or a frame carpenter, or a concrete pourer, you got skills, and those skills are portable. If you're an accountant, your skills are portable. They travel with you, and it's wonderful to have life skills Joseph now, two years in Bethlehem, starts, relaunches his business. And after about two years, God's going to speak to Joseph in a dream here in just a few minutes and say, now I need you to take baby Jesus and Mary and y'all go to Egypt to protect the child's life. So they go down to Egypt. We don't know how long. But we think, according to what we read, for a pretty good clip. In other words, more than a week, more than a year, probably more than a few years, Maybe five or more years, but for a good spell, now they're going to go down to Egypt, and Joseph is now for the third time going to have to launch his business, and it won't be the last time, eventually they'll go back to Nazareth for a fourth time. He'll restart his business over and over again 
to care for his family and provide for their needs. The Christmas story in a macro view is God keeping his promise that he would send his son to be our king, the Messiah, the promised king who would make everything right. That's the macro version of it. But inside, there's a story inside the story. In other words, Christmas has subplots to the Christmas story. And one of the subplots that's running inside the Christmas story is the subplot that reveals that God has already accounted for all of our needs. Listen, this is the most wonderful things I read in the Christmas story. Very comforting to me, especially this year. So I'm reading the story freshly, with fresh eyes, with just this last few months' experiences of what America's been through in our community I just keep reminding myself, see, God's got it all worked out. See, Bobby, God's already seen this. Bobby, God already anticipated this. God already knew what we were going to be facing. God saw our needs before we even knew there was a thing called COVID-19. God already saw it. He already knew how he's going to help our family survive, how our church would thrive, how our ministry would go forward, how we would win souls, how we would make disciples. He's already accounted for our needs And he's already set in motion a way to provide for our families. Now, this morning, I've got to ask you to do something that's a little little difficult. Uh, We we don't have a king. No single man or woman or queen, no single man or woman have ever told us how to live our lives. We've never had a sovereign as a king or queen ruling over us. Those of you who who are obviously born here in America. But today... I want you to step out of who you are for a minute and and think like a person who totally gets the king and queen. And I know you have the understanding of that, but, but pretend like you're in a monarchy. In a monarchy, the king is everything. When I travel to, for example, Thailand, uh, they have a king. And there are massive billboards with the king's picture all over Thailand. When you come into the airport, uh, in, you'll, you'll, you'll be, be prepared to be confronted with graphic representation of the king. They, they, he's up there. He's gilded in gold frames and gold. I mean, it's lavish. Uh, he has palaces. The king welcomes you. We love our king. You know, God bless our king. You know, all, all over the place you'll see things like that. Because a king in a monarchy is everything. His word is the law. His decisions are final. Same for king and king. The the king or queen do not need to win an election to be the king or queen. They rule by birthright. That's a very important part of our story here this morning. Christmas is the story of God sending the king, his king, to be the king of this world. The Christmas story is a story about a king, and that's why we kind of have to think like people who get a monarchy instead of a democratic republic or representative republic like we have. Think like a monarchy for a minute. In order for a king to rule, all he needs is the right family. He needs the right birth order. And he needs official recognition to have that title. That's what a king needs to be the king. The right family, the right birth order, and then someone to certify coronation, we call it, in the monarchy when he hits the coronation he or she is the king or the queen so let's talk about that very quickly let's talk about the king's family 
when you open the Christmas story in the book of Matthew, and you turn to Matthew chapter number 1, you're right out of the gate. Matthew presents you with these facts because they get monarchy, and they're trying to show you that Jesus is God's promise fulfilled. He is the king. So Matthew immediately presents you with the king's family. Uh, The first 17 verses of Matthew, for example, present to us a genealogy of the family tree of Jesus. Just let me read a little bit here, Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew, with the Holy Spirit's genius behind him, in just one short sentence, has told, has linked the New Testament and the birth of Christ to the entire Old Testament and linked up all the covenants together in one little sentence. The two great covenants of Abraham and David are now shackled together and hitched up to the truck of the New Testament, and he's about to pull the story forward into its final chapters. God's covenant with David was, David, one of your sons will sit on the throne of God forever and ever. 2 Samuel chapter number 7. The promise made, the covenant made to Abraham was, one of your children, one of your seed will rule and all the families of the earth will be blessed because of you, Abraham. You will be blessed and you will bless all of the families of the earth. Genesis chapter number 12. In foreshadowing, The Messiah, covenant of Abraham and covenant of David. See, David's son becomes a king. Abraham's son becomes a sacrifice in the story. Do you remember the story of Isaac? A king and a sacrifice. So you're not going to be shocked then in the book of Matthew that the book of Matthew opens with the, chapter 1 and 2, the birth of a king. And the book of Matthew closes with that king being sacrificed. And again, there's a little chapter after the sacrifice, the resurrection. But that's the framework of the story. Now, uh, as we get ready for this week, and I don't, I'm not trying to talk down to you, I'm just trying to be real with you. As we get ready for this week, it means families coming together for Christmas. Uncles and aunts and grandparents and kids and chaos and Whenever we think about getting our families together, there's always some dysfunction that comes with that. Is that fair? Uh, Dysfunctional families are very common. Uh, I would even say, uh, I would say dysfunction has become normal. I mean, uh, that's the norm when you talk to people about your family. They'll always say something like, oh, my family's crazy. And they'll start telling you stories about their, their colorful family members. What I want you to know is that what we would call a dysfunctional family is, is, is everywhere. It's really pretty common. If you know of a family that doesn't have some dysfunction, you probably don't know that family as well as you think you know them. The brokenness of our relationships is quite extensive in this fallen world. And what's interesting is that Matthew doesn't try to hide that. God doesn't try to conceal from us the fact that even Jesus' own family tree is a bit chaotic in other words if jesus got together with his people for christmas it'd be, this, it'd be like you and your family it'd be very very similar let me read to you just a few verses from the genealogy i won't bore you with the whole thing matthew 1 5 says salmon the father of boaz whose mother was rahab just a little little note there that's rahab the harlot 
living in Jericho, the only survivor, her and her family, from the fall of Jericho when Israel invades the land of Canaan. She ends up marrying a Jew who's coming in, a child of Abraham, who was in part of the conquer of Canaan and actually becomes part of the family tree of Jesus Christ. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, well, Ruth's a Moabite. She's from the book of Ruth. The whole story of Ruth is laid out in your Old Testament. And Ruth ends up being the grandmother of Jesse and the great-grandmother of King David. Jesus was a Jew. <coughs> but surprise, he's got Gentiles in his family tree. Now, now Matthew made great pains to list it this way. This is not the normal genealogy you would find. When you read the Old Testament, it's filled with genealogies, by the way. But you're scarce, scarcely will you find a woman's name in a genealogy. In that unenlightened society, the women were treated as property. We, we get that. We understand their brokenness. And so the women weren't really listed in most of the genealogy, only the men's name. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so had a son, and had a son, had a son. And that's really what a genealogy would look like in the Old Testament. But, listen, the New Testament's very progressive. Matthew goes way, way progressive when he starts writing out Matthew chapter number 1. He said, I'm going to give you the family tree of the Son of God who came to save the world and make everything right. The one that's the fulfillment of all the covenants. The one who is the Messiah. The one who is the Savior. And when I write his genealogy, I'm going to be sure and point out the Gentile women that are in Jesus' family tree. And you say, but where's the dysfunction? Oh, his family's tree is filled with prostitution and incest and adultery and, and scandal and, and all kinds of stuff. But you've got to go read about all of these characters in the Old Testament to find out all of that. So when you say to me, hey, Pastor, can we talk for a minute? Sure, let's sit down and talk. Well, first let me begin by saying my family is a little messed up. And I have a lot of conversations with people that start that way. You don't have to give me the disclaimer. I get it. We're all broken. And our families are all have some form of dysfunction in them. But when you say, well, Pastor, I can't be a disciple who makes disciples, and I can't teach the little kids, and, and I can't volunteer in the youth, and I can't be a, you know, a, 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 a camp counselor, and I, I, can't, I can't do these things. If you only knew my background, if you only knew, you know, where I come from, you'd see that I'm not qualified to make disciples or to, or to do these things. Uh, listen, you should go to one of Jesus' family reunions. His people would say the same thing. And yet they're the family of the Son of God, the Savior of the world. God is bigger than all of that, is what I want to say to you. Matthew 1.6 says this, And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. This is Bathsheba being listed in the genealogy. Notice the words, though, King David, the father of King David. Well, I can tell you then, whatever follows in this genealogy is a king's family tree. When you say, here's the king, and then... Solomon was, you're giving me now a king's family tree. These are sons, of, these are royal family you're about to lay out. David, Solomon, and you start right on down the line. And that's now what Matthew does. He wants you to understand that you're getting Jesus' genealogy to support the understanding that he is a king. <clears throat> We're going to include some Gentiles and the women in the genealogy to show to you that the walls are being broken down between male and female. The walls are about to come down 
between Jew and Gentile in this New Testament, in this New Covenant. And what you're about to read about is going to be very progressive. It fulfills the Old Testament, but it breaks down all the barriers of the Old Testament. You see, the Bible tells us we're all sinners, sure, and that's not easy for us to swallow. It tell, just confronts us with our sinfulness, but the Bible also tells us how to be a part of God's family. I'm going to read from Mark 3 very quickly. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they can't get in the house because you're in here making disciples. And he's surrounded by his disciples. The men and women are there in the room and there's so many people you can't get in the house. And when they tell that to Jesus, watch his response. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does, not, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Well, this is pretty amazing stuff right here because what he's saying, Matthew now is, Mark's now saying, the way you, here's God's family and you can get into God's family. You know how you get into God's family? You do the will of God. And if you do the will of God, my disciples, those who are becoming followers of me, which is exactly what I hope you are, disciple of Christ, follower of Christ, that is my family. So when you read the story of Christmas and you're reading about a king's story, you need to also in your mind have a little subplot going and say, remind self that I also, this is partly my story now, because I'm in the family of Jesus by faith. According to Galatians 3, those who have faith are Abraham's family. They are heirs according to the promise. So Matthew first sets up the king's uh, genealogy, the king's family. Then Matthew shifts in chapter 1 to talking about the birth order. Now he doesn't just say the birth order is, but he uses a phrase several times to show you the birth order. Because to be the king, got to have the right family, got to have the right birth order. You can be in the right family. I think, I guess, the family we watch most now is the England's royal family. We, we hear news about them and watch them and get interested in them, you know, a little bit, marginally, something. Some of them may be obsessed, I don't know, but marginally we observe what's going on in England. Listen, you can be a member of the royal family and never be crowned king. Not all of them will be crowned king. You've got to be in the right order. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, it's a very important phrase, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the Lord, yet did not want to expose her in public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. What did the angel say? Joseph? Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because that what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 24. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he named him, gave the name to him, Jesus. Now, what you're reading, we are so familiar with the Christmas story, we really maybe are over-familiar so that the words lose a little bit of their impact on us. Matthew is giving us a great amount of detail about very private matters. I want to be very delicate right here. 
Matthew's giving you a lot of detail in a very adult situation, in a very mm, uh, mm, conservative way, a very discreet way. You say, well, how did Matthew know when the marriage was consummated? And how did Matthew know that they had never come together before Jesus was born? And how did Matthew know? Oh, that one's a slam dunk. Matthew certainly had conversations with Mary. Matthew and Mary are contemporaries. Mary lives long after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, moves in with John from what we know, and he cares for her. But Matthew, running with this group of disciples, he had lots of conversations with Mary. Now, wouldn't that be the wildest thing? Hey, Mary, sit down, let's have a cup of coffee. Tell me about this one more time. Now, one more time, I want to make sure I've got the details. What, what, and she starts telling the story. Well, hey, I'm in Nazareth, angel Gabriel pierced to me and says, fear not, God's chosen you. And it just starts telling him the story, you know. So what's the timing of this again? No, he had his facts perfectly straight. Joseph did not know her until after the birth of Jesus, which is presented to us in the opening of Matthew in such a way that we all come away with a clear understanding. Jesus has a king's genealogy, and Jesus has a king's birth order. He is the firstborn son from the line of King David, which makes him a legitimate heir with a claim to a throne. Well, that brings us to the big, big issue here. You got to have the right family. You got to have the right birth order, but you have to be crowned. You have to have a coronation. You have to be officially recognized by people who are officials who can recognize you. Can you just understand what's happening in our own turbulent country right now? We have election chaos and fraud and accusations and and. And a new president on the way in, it looks like, and, and, and the electoral college in chaos. But what we're waiting for is we're waiting for a group of people called the electoral college to certify, I don't know what the right word is here, you might have to help me, certify, uh, vote, uh, they have to finalize. But when the electoral college of the United States finally says, does anybody know what date that happens now? Say it again. So on February 6th, they'll gather or cast their vote somehow electronically. And when they all have decided it's a done deal, we, fit, we know who the next president is, but we will officially know who the next person is. And it is a slam dunk. It is done at that point. That's what you have to have. And every culture has some form of that. Electoral College in our uh, uh, representative republic that we have. But in, in a monarchy, it looks like what I'm about to describe to you. There has to be an official coronation. Matthew presents us now with this royal delegation. I go back to your childhood. We three kings of Orient are marching down the aisle with my tinfoil crown, coming to present baby Jesus with treasure. You know, that's what we grew up with, and that's our understanding. But this is because Matthew now started the book of Matthew with, we have a king's line, we have a king's birth order, here comes the coronation. It's coming just like that. 
But we probably weren't taught that in, the, in your other church experiences. You just probably were taught wise men came from the east, bearing gifts, etc., etc. But what do you really know about the wise men and their purpose? What is their purpose? Why bring this up? If, they, if all their purpose is is to, you know, hump along on a camel and, and toss down some coin in Bethlehem, if that's their only purpose, then say so. But if there's a bigger purpose, we need to figure out what it is. Who are these people? How many were there? How did they get there? Did they really ride a camel? Who are the wise men is my question. Well, as I've said, after you do a lot of research, you begin to pull the threads of history. You'll discover they were descendants of an ancient people who traced their origin back all the way back to the time of Abraham. This is the book of Genesis timetable now. We know for certain that they continued on all the way until the times of the Roman Empire. Imagine, there's a priestly group of people who've existed from the time of Genesis and they continued all the way to the time of the New Testament, the Roman Empire. And the reason we know they continued this long is Matthew 2.1. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of Herod the king, Herod, Roman Empire, we're getting all the time stamps officially by Matthew, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who grew up in church, you didn't have an NIV, you had a King James, New King James, and an ESV, probably. It came that order, and then to a modern translation. The old translations, the one I grew up with as a kid, KJV, Behold, there came wise men from the east. That's uh, the re- wise men from the east. When you get to the most modern translations, look at this verse, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. In the old Bibles, when they hit the word Greek word behind this, they didn't know what to do with it because there is no translation of that into English. So the, the word wise men came to us in English as a way to describe a Greek word, magos. Magos in a Greek dictionary means from magian or magian descent, the magi. Since there's no English word for magi, what's the English word for German? A German or, 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 or a Spaniard. There's really not a word. You just bring the word over as best you can into your own language. So the old Bibles used wise men, so you know these were some special kind of people, although nobody ever explained to us how they were special. Wise men's all, all we got, and it didn't, it just leaves you a little flat. The modern translators decided, let's bring the word, the actual Greek word, magi, over and put it into the text because it gives us a, a, a little more understanding of who these people were. They were a priestly tribe, the magi, from among the Medes, that's Persian, Iran area, Babylon to Iran, Middle East. They were a priestly tribe of ancient people who since the time of the book of Genesis have studied the stars and have studied mysticism and have advised kings and they had developed some sort of divination process whereby they could look at the stars and the planets and they could predict things by reading the stars. Now this was, this was the way you govern an empire in the ancient world. At the rise of the Babylonian Empire, 
the Magi were very influential leaders in the Babylonian Empire. Now, I've just got to jog your brain for a second. If you're a history student, you know that it was revealed to Daniel there will be four great Gentile empires. The Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, here comes Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, and what follows is the Roman Empire, which will take us all the way to the end, to the, to the coming of Christ and the end of the last age, the remnants of the Roman Empire. Well, those empires, the Magi were operating in those empires. When we read about the Babylonian Empire, really in the book of Daniel's, what talks so much about the Babylonian Empire, these Magi are there on the pages of the book of Daniel. Very influential leaders. They're advising Nebuchadnezzar. They're advising Darius. They're advising Xerxes. They're advising Artaxerxes. They're advising the ancient kings on how to rule their empires. Not small empires containing many, many different kinds of people. In 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Israel and took the Jews captive back to the Babylonian captivity. And we know that God had a plan in all of that. He's judging Israel for her idolatry. But God also has a bigger plan because we know that David was carried... David. Daniel was carried captive in the captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of those people carried captives in the captivity... And when they got to Babylon, all of those young prisoners were, in, they were enslaved as government officials and enrolled in the Magi University. Now, wouldn't that be wild on your resume? Where did you go to school? Magi U. Class of 597 B.C. You know, Magi U. I don't know what their symbol is. You know, not that one for sure. Maybe that one. I don't know. But what's their symbol? Magi, Magi U. Yeah. Anyway, Daniel went to Magi U, and uh, these guys, let me describe them this way, they're the power behind the power. The best and the brightest were put into the Magi school to learn the language of, uh, of the Babylonians, the Chaldean language, the Chaldean laws, the Chaldean science of the Magi. They were enrolled in a, in a, a deep, immersive Magi training. And you say, well, who are the Magi? They're the power behind the power. Now I've got to fast forward the story and Cliff notes it for you to get finished. In a plot twist, which is recorded in Daniel chapter 2, if you want to read it this week. In a plot twist, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel steps up and saves the lives of all the magi who are going to be killed by the king because they can't interpret his dream. He saves the lives of their wives and their children. He saves all of their families in a plot twist in Daniel chapter 2. And as a reward for his saving their lives, he is made by Nebuchadnezzar and the Magi the chief of the Magi. Daniel. Daniel, the Jew. Daniel, the son of Abraham. Daniel, the follower of God. Daniel, the one seeking the Messiah. Daniel, the one who has faith in God, is now the chief of the Magi. Well, listen, if you, God gives you a, a plot twist and puts you as the, the, the key influencer in the country, what do you do with that power? You influence. You influence. You don't just make law. You influence people for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to caution you right here. America is now post, post-Christian. 
And America's trying to sell you a bill of goods that on Sunday you come and be a Christian, but then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday you live your life, but you reserve your religious life just for what happens here on Sunday. You don't take that into the school or into the courthouse or into your business or into the place of commerce or into the marketplace. And I'm saying to you that is not what God wants you to do. God wants you to be His follower and His disciple and a disciple maker when you walk through those doors. As a matter of fact, it doesn't happen in this room. Really, what God wants, the biggest things God wants to happen in your life are going to happen outside those doors. When you go to live your life every day as an influencer for Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ. And what Daniel did is he taught the Magi all the things that I'm teaching you about a coming Messiah, about God sending his king, about saving the world, about setting everything right, about the fall in Eden and how God was going to send a savior to make everything right. And he would be the king the world has always looked for. But he wouldn't hoard that power to himself. Instead, he would adopt us into his king's family and he would, we would rule with him. Genesis 1 and 2 again. He wants us to rule with him. He wants us to have the power of a grand vizier, the power of a prime minister, the power of a vassal king in this relationship. Anyways, a suzerain-vassal relationship. Well, they understood this language because they operated in a monarchy. And all the wise men were like, all the magi were like, well, I'd love to be a king ruling in God's kingdom. I would be a vassal to King Jesus, the ruler of the world. So now Matthew tells us These men are traveling from the east to Jerusalem because Daniel has taught them how God would send his son to be the savior of the world. And now they must go and certify him as the king. They must must have a coronation. They must crown him king. So let me develop the story. They're not just the power behind the power. They're the king makers. Now I think I'll connect with you right here for a moment. Whenever you look hard at American politics or any politics... You always sense deep inside your heart that there is another power behind the power. You always sense in your heart when you watch politics that there's another group of people unknown. Faces we are not seeing who are pulling the levers of power behind the scenes. And I can't tell you how many TV series and movies spin off of this thing. And show you what scandals are happening behind the scenes and how everything's being manipulated. But I want to say to you, the Magi fit into that story. The Magi are the king makers. You do not rule without their knowledge. They know things you don't know about how everything works. You do not rule without their knowledge. You can't even get the throne without their approval. Now just imagine what God did. God made Daniel the chief of the Magi. So that he could teach them about the one true God and the coming king. And because Daniel was a witness at work. Because Daniel lived out his discipleship at work. The Magi came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or at least some of them. And they taught their children about the coming king. And they taught their children about the coming king. And and there's a reason I know that. Because 600 years passes between Daniel and Matthew chapter number 1. And so when wise men come from the east saying, where is the king? These guys are 600 years behind Daniel. How did they know? Somebody taught their kids, and somebody taught their grandkids, and somebody taught their kids, and somebody taught their their kids, and they passed that faith that God would send his king 
down through that Magian descent till someone actually was living in the time of Christ and said, wait, there's a new star. What does that mean? Look through the writings. Oh, this is what we were taught about. This is what my grandpappy told me about, that we were looking for a sign, a star that would signify that God was fulfilling His promise to the world. When the Magi arrive in Jerusalem, they confront King Herod, who's sitting on the throne, and they are confronted with a rival king's wrath. Let me show it to you, Matthew 2.2. 2. And they asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. So they ride across the Middle East. They arrive in Jerusalem in all the full force of their royalty, their pomp and their circumstances. The Magi wore conical hats with big flaps on them. They wore big, fancy, royal, eastern robes that were bling-bling. They rode in on Persian stallions, not loping on those goofy-looking, knock-kneed camels. They arrived in regal splendor when they rode in. And when they rode into Jerusalem, it's not like three dudes on some mangy camels. When the Magi rode in, we don't know how many there were. It's a delegation of, of royalty coming It's the Electoral College riding into Jerusalem. Do you think these people don't have armed bodyguards? When they rode in, they rode in with a whole division of Persian cavalry surrounding them. I'm talking a small army has just come through the gates of Jerusalem because the kingmakers, the power behind the power, the people whose faces are never seen, are suddenly seen on the streets of Jerusalem knocking on the door of Herod the king, saying, where's the real king? We've seen his star. Where's the baby king? Where's the young king? We, don't you think Herod knew who they were? Listen, if you're Donald Trump and the Electoral College shows up to certify Joe Biden, don't you think you know what's going on? Don't you think there's some tension in the room? This is what's happening in this story. Watch this, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, He was disturbed. Now I want you to know the English word disturbed does not do justice to what's happening in the Greek text. His bowels are loosed. His knees are knocking. He's having an episode, you would say, in America. He's losing it, okay? He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembles the religious leaders. Herod also has power behind a little brain trust called the Jewish leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, Sanhedrin group, Sadducees, gathers the ruling Sadducees together. Verse 4, when Herod had called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, I've got a question for you. We've got a little tension here in the city. The Magi are here to certify a king. We know the Messiah is coming. Well, no, I'm not the Messiah. So here's the question, brain trust of Israel. Where is the Messiah to be born? If he has been born, just tell me the location. Now, here's what you don't know up to this point, but Herod's planning to drop a nuclear bomb on that city. He does not want a rival for the throne, even if it's the Son of God here to roll back the seas and heal COVID-19 and raise the dead. Herod doesn't care. He just wants baby Jesus dead. And so he'll wipe out the entire city if he gets a chance. So Herod says with a smile, like the Grinch's curled up smile, tell me where is the Messiah to be born? Now, here's what's what's amazing. 
These religious leaders are guiding the country, yet they have no idea what God is doing. The religious event of all of history is happening in their backyard, and they are missing it right now. Christ has already been born in Bethlehem, and they, they don't know it. No, I mean, or if they know it, they haven't gone to check it out. They are indifferent to what God is doing. Herod wants an official declaration from them of where can I get my hand, I mean, where can I go and honor this, uh, this new king that's been born. So Herod's Israeli brain trust starts quoting the Old Testament. That's how you would know. Micah 5.2, they start talking about the city of Bethlehem. Matthew records it. Verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. That's where the Messiah is going to be. In Bethlehem of, listen, from Jerusalem, listen, Brett Favre could throw a football to Bethlehem. I mean, it's just right there. Just, just a few miles. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler that will shepherd my people Israel. The leaders of Israel knew the prophecy concerning Bethlehem, but they never went across town to see if the Son of God was really there. Now, does that not blow anybody's mind? If we knew this morning that across 377 is Watauga, the Son of God was being born over there on, Walta- on 377 in Watauga, would anybody be interested enough to drive over there just to see if it was actually happening? They didn't even go. So Herod dismisses them and has a private meeting now with the Magi. Here's his recorded. Then Herod called the Magi, verse 7, secretly. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him also. What a devil. Can you imagine the amount of lying it takes to pull that off? With a smile on your face, saying to the king, the electoral college, Hey guys, go and find the king. Listen, when you find him, I've already got my Christmas gifts ready. I've got my check made out. I've got my, 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 my I'm going to give him this. And this. I've got my stuff. I see you've got your stuff. I've got my stuff. And I want to come and worship the Messiah with you. I want to come and worship the, the king with you. So when you find him, would you please send me the, text me the address. Text me when you get to Bethlehem and tell me where I can find him. At the same moment, Herod with his thumbs is texting the executioners of Israel and saying, get your swords sharpened and your axes ready. I've got an infanticide job for you. I'm going to send you to a city as soon as I get the address and you're going to sweep down into that neighborhood. You won't have to worry if you get the right house. Just start butchering people. Just start killing every little kid you can find. Now here's what's good. The Magi realize he's insane. Plot twist to get Magi are like, holy mackerel, this guy's like, whoa. They have no intention of texting Herod the address. They've already decided when they leave. When we Listen, when we find Jesus, when we find the Messiah, let's do what we came to do and let's get out of Dodge. This dude's nuts. He's a loose cannon. Who knows what he's going to do? Daniel taught the Magi that Jesus, this baby who was being born, is not just a king. He was a king, but he's not just a king. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I know that the Magi understood 
what Daniel had taught them because I see their actions recorded in Matthew when they finally find Jesus at the house and they go into the little probably one-room house in Bethlehem. And when they are actually are face-to-face with Jesus, the king of the world, I know they understood Daniel's message by what they did. Matthew 2.11 On coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother Mary. Watch these next words. And they bowed down. Now, you would bow to a king. That's protocol. But let's just read it again. And they bowed down and worshipped him. That's a whole other level. They opened their treasures and they presented unto him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When the wise men knelt, when the magi knelt in that little home in Bethlehem, they saw more than a king. They saw their savior. And when they bowed before King Jesus, they had now certified that Jesus Christ was the King of Kings. Not that God needs our human approval, but you understand what's happening. The Electoral College is in the living room right now. And they have bowed before the Son of God. It's as if they have put their hands upon the child and said, This is now the King of Kings. This is now the Savior of the world, and they worshiped him. Now let me just give you something to think about as I close this message. I want you to think of the legacy of Daniel, who 600 years after he lived and died, there's a group of Christians looking for the arrival of the Son of God because a man made disciples at work and at home. Let me put to you a few questions. What legacy are you leaving? Who's going to be in heaven because of you? Who's going to be a follower of Jesus because of the influence of your life upon theirs? Who in 2021 is going to be growing as a follower of Christ because of your discipleship investment in their life? say does it matter it matters the legacy of Daniel lives even to this hour it matters how you live out your faith now for all of you who have received Jesus Christ as your Savior calling him Savior is one thing but you also have to call him King and Lord sovereign King Lord that's what it means maybe this morning you need to bow the knee freshly and just say to God God if I haven't told you lately you're not just my Savior you are my king and when we challenge you to live a certain way and live by a code you know why we live by a code because we're following a king the reason we do unto others the reason we love our neighbor as ourselves, the reason we live the way we live is because we're living by our king's code that's what we've been called to do no we're not waiting for the future to do that we're in the kingdom of god right now And lastly, I challenge you with this. You don't get into the kingdom of God if you reject the king. The way you get into the kingdom of God is by receiving the king. Such a simple Christmas treasure. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's pray together.
and then we'll sing and we'll go to the house. As we bow in prayer, I, I know we are not rich people, but we are blessed people. We don't have big treasures, but we do have some treasures we can invest in his kingdom, and you guys have done an amazing job of that. The Magi had to go and find baby Jesus via pilgrimage. How precious this morning that we don't have to go on a pilgrimage to find Jesus. Jesus is already here. All we have to do is bow and worship him. Father, we bow before you this morning. God, we're not the power behind the power, but we bow before you in worship to say to you, we, we honor you as our king this morning. We honor you and recognize that you are the promise of God sent to this world to be the savior of the world and the king of kings. You're worthy of our worship and our praise this morning. Your worship, you're worthy of our devotion and a life spent in service. God, all that we are and all that we have is yours and at your disposal. God, we pray for your divine enabling. God, we understand that the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh became a treasure of provision for Mary and Joseph that they would restart a business four times on. You took care of all of their material needs. And all they had to do was walk by faith. You had already seen it. You already provided for it through the Magi. God, this morning we are worshiping, we are giving, and we have the same faith this morning that you're going to open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing out upon us that we're not able to receive. Lord, we look forward to sharing the stories of how we poured out and you poured right back in in the days to come. God, as we worship before you this morning, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. For any of you listening to my voice, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, there's a room filled with people who would love to pray with you this morning. All you'd have to do is just reach out to anyone and say, would you pray with me? They know exactly what to do to guide you to call upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior this morning.